Welcome to the MCO Show. I'm your host, Eric Saldomingo, and joining me today is Dr. Amanda Mayo. Dr. Mayo is a physiatrist at uh, St. John's Hospital who, re- who specializes in amputee rehabilitation along with the cardiac and organ transplant rehab at both inpatient and outpatient care. Today's episode is brought to you on behalf of the Amputee Coalition of Toronto, a peer support group committed to providing advocacy and support for those in the limb loss and limb different communities. April is Limb Loss and Limb Difference Awareness Month, and this episode is brought to you on behalf of the Empty Coalition of Toronto's Education Program. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mayo, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Could you please give us a short overview of your career as a physiatrist? Sure. So I'm a physiatrist. Um, We're also known as physical medicine and rehab specialist. Um, and I subspecialize in amputee or limb loss rehabilitation. Uh, I would say probably about 75 to 80% of my patient population are, particip- are patients with limb loss. And I care for them both acutely. So, um, you know, right after their amputation in inpatient rehab, and then also um, long-term. So in my outpatient clinics um, and outpatient therapy program, Um, I'm also involved in sort of pre-limb loss. So I work with our surgical teams to do counseling for patients, um, both to decide like what is the best level of amputation for them, um, but also to answer some questions because, um, you know, the surgeons are very good at doing the surgeries, uh, but don't have a lot of knowledge or training in prosthetics and rehabilitation. Um, So basically my career is sort of uh, caring for patients throughout the continuum of limb loss, uh, providing rehabilitation training, um, and expertise sort of overseeing their care plans, um, and then also helping to select which pros- prosthetic devices would be best for them and, and caring for their limbs and pain management, um, both pre and post amputation and, and typically throughout their lifetime if they stay in the GTA area. Right. So let's talk about actually uh, the reason, you know, I wanted to have this conversation is with you is the, the whole talk on physiatry. So talking with amputees, especially those outside of the urban areas where the big rehab centers are, there appears to be a gap in the understanding by amputees, especially new ones, what physiatry is or, yeah, and, and, and what is a physiatrist. So you kind of broken that, that down for us a little bit. But are, I guess, are amputees supposed to see a physiatrist, sort of to your point, in the beginning they should and at the end, you know, after surgery they should, uh, for sure. But I think there's a gap in, and I'll give you an example. Sometimes I, I talk to amputees and they're like, what do you mean a physiatrist? Or uh, yesterday, in fact, funny enough, there was a conversation that I had with an amputee that said, I didn't know I had to see one before I could get a prosthetic. So maybe walk us through that. Yeah, so I mean, unfortunately in Ontario and in Canada, there's no sort of best practice guidelines for amputee care. Um, it has occurred in other populations such as stroke care and, and you know spinal cord injury care, um, but limb loss and amputation uh, still is very variable depending on where you live. And and unfortunately, um, you know, there are disparities. We see people, you know, there's higher rates of amputations in some rural populations, maybe because they don't have the preventative care for amputation. Uh, But for physiatry in particular, you know, we're a smaller specialty. Uh, We're unfortunately more concentrated in urban areas. So Toronto has the biggest physiatry training program and Toronto has the largest number of physiatrists in Canada Um, because, you know, people tend to stick where they train. Um, I think, you know, when patients struggle, 
there are sort of other ways to access physiatry. So I do provide um, some e-consults or um, telemedicine consults for patients that live in more rural areas. And I think, you know, the pandemic has made it very hard um, for limb loss care. And I think there's been programs that have been shut down, like I know in London and Hamilton and, and you know, they had regular physiatry clinics and now, you know, things, you know, things are just chaotic right now. Uh, but I think the one thing that might come out, you know, positive out of the pandemic is maybe we can use technology and use virtual care so that if a patient doesn't have access to a physiatrist physically, um, you know, maybe they can do like a Zoom consult or, or a telephone consult with their prosthetic team. And I do connect with some community prosthetists. You know, I, you know, I am based out of Sunnybrook, but I do um, do some community prosthetic work. But I also make it known to the prosthetists, and 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 you know, even when I do the George Brown training sessions, that if you have a patient where they're having problems with their skin, or maybe it's a you know they're having pain, and you think your prosthetic fit is good, there might be something internally that's going on, and and you know, maybe you need a medical specialist like a physiatrist to investigate it, um, and either order the investigations that are needed needed or perhaps uh, prescribe different treatments that aren't working because, you know, prosthetists are the expert in making legs, but there might be something internally that's going on. And, and sometimes patients have pain from their back and, you know, they get it when they're walking and it's not, it's not from their prosthetic prosthesis and you know the prosthetist is trying as hard as they can and the patient's trying as hard as they can but perhaps they need sort of a physiatrist or, or a medical expert to look at sort of how things are functioning the whole picture um, so I know people struggle and, and I know so so when somebody talks about you know needing a physiatrist to get a prosthesis that's because of the assistive device program right so the assistive device program the ADP program in Ontario and and, and provinces have different setups um, they require a specialist physician signature. Now, every clinic is different. Every prosthetist is different. And, and, you know, our hope is that, you know, when they, that physician sees that patient for the device, that they also oversee their care. Um, but because of resource issues in Ontario and Canada and, and, you know, different sort of clinic setups, it might be just that they're seeing them and their skin's okay and they need a prosthesis and there's not a real like comprehensive uh, care program. So, Ideally, it would be nice to have a specialist that looks after the whole function and that's what physiatrists do. Um, and I like to see my limb loss patients at least once a year, but usually a, a couple times a year just to check in, um, but also being accessible because we know, particularly in the pandemic, when people have had issues access, accessing their prosthetist or you know just general medical care, uh, it's nice to have somebody that you can um, call or email or sort of get a hold of and try to coordinate your care because um, you know limb loss, like I said, we need we need guidelines, we need best practice care in Canada um, and and patients and even clinic clinical teams struggle because we just don't have the infrastructure uh, set up like like we need like stroke care like spinal cord care so hopefully in the future it comes um, but uh, I think this was a really long-winded answer to your question <laughs> no but this is good though but, but I do want to go back to you know the overall care um, as well and how innovative that not realizing that you do have the pre-conversation or pre uh, the conversation pre-amputation so I wanted to talk about more about that as well because and I agree with a lot of things that you've said but um, my amputation was just four years ago and I didn't have a pre-consult with a physiatrist before my amputation it was just like I think this is the best solution for you let's go ahead and schedule a day so walk us through maybe uh, some of the things that amputees or you know potential amputees in that case would need to know and what that looks like from pre-amputation the first five days after amputation 
and maybe week to week after that post-surgery? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're starting now in our center to do prehabilitation, which is actually like rehab to get you ready for um, a prosthesis. Like it's particularly in a case like that, when we know somebody's getting scheduled, like it's not like you go into the hospital and immediately like it's unexpected, but we do have cases where an amputation is scheduled or sometimes I'll see a patient on the hospital ward where we know like the foot is not going in the right direction and we need to sort of um, amputate. Um, or sometimes I see patients and we're thinking about like, what should we do? And is it in the patient's best goals of care or sort of what they'd like to do? Um, amputate or, or, or just, you know, treat the infection or palliate, right? So I think pre-amputation, it's nice to speak with a rehab specialist or a prosthetic specialist um, to talk about the different levels of amputation and sort of what the expected outcomes are for that individual pa patient. Um, because you have to look at the whole picture. Um, not everybody that has an amputation is a prosthetic candidate. Um, you know, most people that have lower level, uh, lower extremity amputations, like a partial foot or a blow the knee amputation, most will be. Once you get to the knee level and above, not all will be. Um, and and because it just requires more energy and strength. Um, and those levels of amputations don't help with transfers. Um, so I think to speak with somebody who has expertise in either amputation or prosthetics or rehab, it can just give you a better idea of what to expect. It can also, so when we're talking about like our pre prehabilitation or rehab prior to amputation, it's starting to work on those muscle groups and stressing and stretching out joints so that you're more ready for the prosthesis. Because uh, unfortunately, you know, people that are leading up to amputation, they're probably not walking as much. Uh, they have pain or they have wounds. Um, and so it's important to get certain muscle groups ready uh, by stretching or doing the exercises that you can, um, you know, either at the wheelchair level or at the bed level, if, if you're not able to do sort of uh, standing exercises or walking. Um, so I think that's really important. And then what we're finding now is the people that do better have better, like it's not just exercise to get yourself ready for amputation. Um, nutrition is important. So, you know, you might need different supplements or sort of a change in the way you're eating, um, controlling your blood sugars if you're diabetic, you know, because we want to make sure that after the amputation, your wound heals. Um, and so there's things that we can do as far as nutrition and, and diabetes management, um, lifestyle sort of changes. Um, and then also I think, uh, mentally preparing because it is it is a loss and and, and you're going to go through different stages of adjustment and grieving and so you know often we'll call on like the amputee coalition toronto or different peer support groups because i can tell you what i think it's like to have an amputation but it's not actually what it's like to have an amputation uh, and so there's a lot of good evidence to show talking to a peer someone that has a similar level of amputation and maybe a similar health condition that's led to their amputation we try to do that for our patients so that they get an idea and also connect with somebody who's been through it um, and had a prosthesis or sort of you know, can give sort of the insider scoop, I say. Mm -hmm. And what about uh, five or let's say the first few days after, you know, after surgery, what does that look like as far as um, yeah, rehab so goes? Yeah. And I do get called into that, right? So, cause I work at Sunnybrook, so I'll get called, you know, if the surgical team does an amputation, they'll, they'll often have me see the patient and, and, and sometimes patients are at the hospital with other issues and, you know, they're not ready for rehab right away. Um, they've broken other bones or, you know, there's other things going on that need to be treated. So same thing, like we, we have sort of like an orientation package, but we're sort of introducing, like I'll, I will do an assessment first. I don't wanna set any unrealistic expectations. 
when I see somebody a few days after surgery, you know, I can't tell you, I can probably tell you whether I think you're going to be a prosthetic candidate, but some people surprise me, right? Like, like some people are really confused or in a lot of pain and probably not their best self. Um, so it's really sort of talking to patients about the amputation, sort of the timelines of healing, you know, we expect if everything's going well, we're going to get your first prosthesis on in a month, but often things don't go well. Like there's wound infections, there's, there's other stuff going on. And so it might take longer than that. And then just sort of introducing the concept of a multidisciplinary team, like the importance of physiotherapy, the importance of wound care, nursing, um, and, and mobilizing. And really there is a pre-prosthetic or a non-prosthetic phase of recovery and rehabilitation. And so introducing that, and, and you know, the prosthesis is not the only goal. Um, there's other goals to increase your function in independence without a prosthesis. And you're gonna have a period where you're healing where we need to work on that. Um, so I think it's that. And a lot of the time in that sort of acute phase, like within the first three to five days after surgery, it's a lot of questions, right? Because a lot of people have never met somebody with limb loss. I mean, once you're at the rehab hospital, you sort of, you meet a lot of people, right? Like you, you form a new sort of peer group. Um, but most patients I meet have not had any experience with amputation or limb loss. Um, and so it's a lot of uh, orientation and, and question answering. And then typically we'll get the prosthetic team if we feel it's appropriate to, to do a separate visit with the patient as well, just to talk about prosthetic questions because um, that's their area of expertise. Right. And so the overall care team at St. John's, so when patient gets transferred there, so you have your yourself there and then with your physio, uh, the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist, you then create a, a work, a workout, if you will, or a rehab program uh, for the five weeks that they're in hospital. Um, so how is that determined? Is it by the book or is it by, by patient prescription or what, what, whatever they want to sort of achieve or their goals are? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it's not typical. Like we have a very, very variable length of stay. So you know, sometimes it's I'd say average four to six weeks, but it does vary. I mean, we are limited by resources. So I wish we could do more, um, and we are limited. Don't by, we all? Yeah, the staffing, but we have like sort of um, we have amputee like inpatient and outpatient sort of exercise guides that the patients get sort of to do in their bed. Um, and so we, we typically have like general, like level-based care plans, uh, but then we have to look at the individual patient and sort of tailor them to what they can tolerate, sort of what their goals are. Um, you know, if they have any other health conditions, like sometimes we don't hop patients because they have a wound on their other foot, or maybe we think they have um, like a like a vulnerable foot. So we don't want to introduce new trauma. So I think, you know, part of the rehab plan always has to be a bit of an assessment phase uh, to get to know the patients, to get to know their other health conditions. And then part of it is like, what do they need to do? Like, like what is their home environment like? Like, like we have to be realistic and think, okay, if they need to do stairs, like, like how are we going to do it? Is it going to be with a prosthesis? Is it going to be like bumming up? Or is this not going to be possible? And then we usually will have a family sort of team meeting to say, okay, like, like unfortunately some patients can't go back to the home that they came from, like pre-amputation. Um, but we have to work on sort of assistive equipment and sort of other things, like other strategies, because we want everybody to get home safely. Home is the best spot, right? Like you don't want to have mm -hmm. to go to another uh, destination like assisted living or, you know, a long-term care home, but 
we just have to think realistically, uh, particularly with like accessibility uh, issues in the community, like sort of what is the best plan? Um, and I wish we had housing for everyone, like wheelchair accessible housing is very, very challenging. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of part of our rehab planning is there is like a generalized care plan for different levels of amputations, but we often have to tailor it depending on the individual's needs. Okay, perfect. That's great. Thank you for breaking that down, as, that down for our listeners. What are some of the common issues you've seen from either lack of physiotherapy or occupational therapy, both at the beginning and the ongoing uh, therapy for amputees? Yeah, and uh, we are seeing this more and more, I think, you know, where people are, because of all the bed pressures in Ontario, like um, people are getting sent home without rehab. Um, the biggest thing is uh, joint contracture. So when the joints get tight, particularly the hips and knees, when you're doing a lot of sitting, um, and, and sometimes, you know, that's irreversible. Like once they stiffen up and the tendons contract, um, it's hard to get them back. Um, so if I say to anything is try to stretch out the backs to your knees and your hips, if you're doing a lot of sitting, cause I know a lot of people, we're all doing more sitting, right? Like we're sitting on zoom meetings and, you know, we're not allowed to get out to our gyms and stuff. So joint contractures is probably number one. Um, and that's unfortunate because sometimes we see patients and their joints are too contracted that we can't get them back standing again, right? Like they're just too tight. Um, so stretching is really, really important pre and post amputation and, you know, lifelong stretching. Um, the other is weakness uh, where they're just not using those muscle groups around the amputated limb. And so they can get a lot of weakness. So it's good to have a, a focused program that's ongoing stretching and strengthening to keep those muscles strong. And then I think the, the other thing is just limited function. Um, so if you're sent home without a proper sort of rehab or therapy plan, you're probably not optimizing your function after your limb loss. Um, and so you might not have the right assistive equipment um, to, you know, get around your environment or get around your community. Um, and you might also not have the proper techniques for transfers or standing or walking. Um, so I do think it does put you at risk for falls and also being sort of housebound, like just not able to get around. Um, and it is unfortunate because there are sort of assistive equipment or mobility aids um, that can be used, but often, you know, that's prescribed by a rehab team, like a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist. Um, and same with the exercises that you need to sort of keep your joints mobile and strong. Um, so I think rehab is critical for any level of amputation upper lower uh, extremity um, and some people need some brush ups along the way right like as people age and they get arthritis or they might get back problems you know you might need another course of therapy or you might need a different walking aid um, so it's important if you feel like you're not your best self or you're not functioning as well or if you have patients and and they're struggling uh, try to reconnect them with a rehab team um, to, to optimize their function now you brought up about uh, the funding and, and lack of access to funding and mobility devices. I think there's a confusion not only on that, but also accessing or re-accessing rehab. When can amputees at what point in our care, post-amputation, a year later we see you or every so couple of months, when can we, or where can we have that conversation and say, I think I need to go back to rehab or I think I need more therapy. When are those good points or are, are there you know, rules as to those good points? 
in so the it, conversation. So I get back to the, again, the lack of standardized care, right? So at our facility, we do have that, right? So what prompts me to put a patient back in therapy is if I see, okay, their walking isn't as good as it used to be, or, uh-oh, they're falling, um, or, you know, I've had patients that just say like their only goal is transfers, like they're not able to transfer independently or they're, they're living by themselves and they're really like vulnerable. Um, so I think at any point, like, you know, if we had the luxury of a publicly funded therapy for, for patients with limb loss, I think anytime you see a decline in your function or you're finding that you're, you're developing muscle imbalances or maybe musculoskeletal pain, that would be a good point to sort of reflect and say, hey, maybe I should go back in for a focused um, session of, of therapy or, or just get things sort of looked at uh, because your body changes, like everybody's body changes with time. Um, your mechanics and, your, and your, the way you walk and sort of your muscle strength, um, they all change. Um, and we want to keep people moving. People are healthier when they're moving and they're not sitting and, and they're not dependent on others. Uh, so again, if, if funding for therapy was not an issue, I think, you know, those little brush ups or sort of making sure people are still functioning at their best, those are all sort of indications for therapy. Um, that being said, there's not a lot of publicly funded therapy in Ontario and Canada, right? So, so that's why we have to get creative and, and maybe we have to think about more accessible community programs and gyms um, and home-based like virtual programs, but we really need to work on this. Like, and I think it's something that is lacking in the limb loss population, that the recognition, the recognition that just getting a prosthesis, that's not the end goal. We wanna make sure you get a prosthesis and you keep walking and you get back to an active lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle, because there's a lot of evidence in the literature that everybody's at their best when they're in rehab or within that like first year of prosthetic training, but then things decline. Um, and so, you know, that's where I think there, there's work to be done. Um, and if, if patients can be proactive and sort of try to access therapy, but I'm gonna say it's, it's a challenge it's really a challenge if you don't have insurance coverage for therapy, um, but just recognizing that things change and you might need therapy. It might be like five, 10 years after your limb loss that you need to need to go back for, for, for some therapy. So you can't access OHIP again in, in, in Ontario's case or, or your provincial. So there's no set rules, right? Like, so in my center, we can, like I can re-refer my patient to outpatient therapy. We have sort of different mm -hmm. pathways um, and this would like this would, we have a pathway for patients that are doing like more of a refresher program, not a new sort of uh, amputee. Um, but there's no guidelines. Um, and so healthcare is a lot of buckets of funding. And if your hospital chooses to spend it on outpatient therapy for limb loss, you might be able to access it. Or if you're, you know, a community center, but really that's where we get back to where there's no, there's a lot of variability and, and a lot of inequities, uh, depending mm -hmm. on where you live and sort of, um, what care you can access, which is unfortunate. Um, so I do think we need to get creative uh, and making more, whether it's virtual or online or, or um, you know, using infrastructure that already, already exists, like cardiovascular rehab programs that might help our diabetic and vascular amputees. Um, but yeah, right now, you know, there's no hard set rule about OHIP therapy, but you can see that it's been cut sort of everywhere, right? Like it's very, very hard to get publicly funded therapy. Right. 
Um, now, I was going to ask you about your research on the benefits of active lifestyle and amputation. So perhaps maybe share with us some of those lessons learned, if you will, um, from some of your research. Sure. Right now, we're just we're wrapping up um, a study that was funded by the Physician Services Incorporated and um, Ontario Association for Amputee Care. And it's looking at sort of long-term community outcomes and, and looking at that, like sort of uh, who access therapy if they do better, uh, how people are feeling as far as social isolation, um, and sort of taking an in-depth look at sort of what services patients are requiring, like long after amputation, so more than more than a year or two after amputation. Uh, so we're waiting for that day, day to come back. But really what we're finding is that the patients that are better supported and less socially isolated do better. Um, and people that access rehab also do better than those that do not. Um, and, and really there's a lot of evidence to show that multidisciplinary care, so not just medical care, not just rehab care, not just, not just prosthetist care, patients do better. Uh, and so we're hoping with our research to really, you know, present the government that not only is it better care, but I think over time, so a part of our study is just looking at the cost of care, like looking at how many times patients go back to the emergency department, how many times did they have to go back for like wound care or like a diabetic issue. Um, that is probably more cost effective and, and better quality care. So, so that's sort of the hope with our, our research program is showing that exercise matters, rehab matters, um, good multidisciplinary specialized care is important. Um, I think it's hard for a general rehab or a general medical program to care for limb loss. Um, and I think that's one of my fears, right? So like one of the goals of my uh, research is just to continue to provide evidence that, you know, amputation is a very specialized field um, and, and it requires multiple team members to provide the best care for patients. And I think in the long run, it actually saves costs. Um, so that in a nutshell is sort of our big research project that we're working on now. Right. Now you brought up OAAC and you have an event coming up. Yeah. So I, I mean, uh, OAAC is the Ontario Association for Amputee Care. Um, and I'm one of the executive members. Uh, every It's usually every two years we have an in-person conference our last one was in 2019 um, and then unfortunately you know we're gonna do we can't come together this year um, so may 7th 2021 this year just less than a month away uh, we're hosting our first virtual conference um, our keynote speaker is actually a prominent uh, limb loss researcher from washington uh, joseph sizenrecki and i'm sorry joseph i if I said your name wrong, uh, but we're happy to have him. Um, and then we have speakers from across the country. Um, so we have uh, Jacqueline Hebert from Alberta. She's a physiatrist in their osseointegration program, as well as Nat Natalie Habra, who's from the Montreal Osseointegration Institute. And so they're going to give an update on osseointegration in Canada. Uh, we have some, we have yoga for amputees. So there's going to be a yoga session, uh, speakers on sort of quality of life and exercise post limb loss. So great program. Um, you can find details on our website, which is oaac.ca. Um, and there is uh, different pricing. Uh, so $50 for staff rate, like if you're um, a staff physician or clinician, $25 for students and uh, $10 for participants with limb loss. Um, and, you know, we hope we have over 100 reg registrations today. Um, and we're hoping to have a big group and, and a good discussion. And we're ending off with a discussion on how COVID-19 has impacted rehab and amputee care in Canada uh, with the panel of uh, prosthetists, orthotists, and, and rehab specialists. 
Oh, that's that's really good to hear. I think that's really more important now that we're on our third wave <laughs> of of the pandemic, and and we've all felt that the struggle, the bear, the challenges, I should say, of uh, dealing with COVID and amputation. Let's talk Versace for those listeners who may be interested in getting into this role. So, how do you become one? Oh, good question. So. Physiatry, I mean, and a lot of people don't know what it is. Um, we are medical doctors, so you have to do like a bachelor's degree and then go to medical school. Um, and then it's a five-year sort of specialty program. Um, and so you do a residency that's five years. Uh, some people will go into practice right after that five-year residency and others will do maybe a year fellowship um, to specialize. Um, and then you have to write board exams and, and then you're a physiatrist. So, but then do you, um, I, I would think that, you know, you go into kinesiology, is that where you sort of start or like just on any medical science, really? Yeah, well, anything actually. I did engineering prior to medicine. Um, so I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in engineering. So there's no sort of requirement. I mean, most people will go into like a science or kinesiology or they'll have that sort of background, but variable sort of bachelor's degrees before you get into medicine. I remember my med school, I had one uh, colleague that was an architect um, and actually she's gotten a lot into like hospital design and architecture. So you can have, you can have any bachelor degree, but definitely there's more common ones such as like medical sciences or kinesiology for sure. Right. And so what does a typical day look like for a physiatrist? Ah, so it's, I think it's highly variable. Uh, we're a little known specialty, but we're also very diverse specialty. So like I said, I do mostly limb loss patients, but I have colleagues that do with just stroke or spinal cord injury or sports medicine. Um, so for me, because I do inpatient and outpatient, I typically will have a day where I'm seeing inpatients that are on our inpatient amputee unit. Um, and then I do probably two to three clinics a week. Um, seeing patients coming in from the community um, that are referred to me up from other physicians um, or uh, following sort of my limb loss patients that I've seen since they've been an inpatient and, and sort of just carrying on their care. Um, and then being an academic center, there's a lot of meetings, there's some research work going on uh, and quality improvement. Right. Um, now, you mentioned earlier about the shortage of physiatrists in Canada outside of just the urban areas. What sort of innovative ways, I guess, are, are we thinking now, you know, with COVID and everything else that's kind of happened and how do we expand that care across Canada? Yeah, so we are looking at sort of uh, what we talk, we talk like virtual care. So either like video conference care or telemedicine. Um, that's one model of perhaps broadening our reach. I think another model is sort of equipping care teams. Um, so, you know, there are some great like physiotherapists, uh, prosthetic groups. So maybe just aligning ourselves with people that we can be a point of contact. I think that's sort of another, we call it like a bit of like a hub and spoke model. So sort of where we can expand our reach, but not, you know, personally, like I can't go out to different communities. Um, so that's another option. And I think, um, you know, just developing resources that can help our patient populations, but again, not us directly doing the work because there's just not a lot of us here. So whether it's, you know, exercise videos or educational modules, um, we've been doing a little bit of research in sort of internet like um, mindfulness and like cognitive based therapy, because uh, I think mental health post limb loss is very, very important. And that, you know, not only is it hard to access 
physiatry, but it's very, very hard to access counseling after amputation. Um, and that should be done by a mental health specialist. But we are doing some research to see if there's any sort of internet equivalent or, 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 or tools that we can provide online so that it improves access. Um, so I think for rehab or specialized care, we will have to use technology. It's not the best for every patient. You know, I have some patients that unfortunately do not have access to technology. They might not have an internet connection or a device. Um, but if we can at least reach some people or, you know, keep our in-person care for people that can't access virtual care, you know, there's things that we need to do. And, and I think, you know, I said that's one positive of the pandemic that, that, that care, you know, we talked about virtual care, but, you know, it never happened, but now we're all doing it. And, you know, there's all these words about like privacy and like, but it's, it's really like, I think it's pushing us to do things differently and sort of keep doing things the same. Mm -hmm. by bringing people to bringing people to clinic and and you know having them pay for parking and, and there's just like a lot of things that we can do differently and, and the pandemic's making us do it well i think just the outreach as well right just to reach those areas where they can't get access you know just thinking in ontario if you're driving from barry all the way down to or from gravenhurst to back down to toronto just to see uh you know a 30 second or not 30 second but like a 30 minute having to park, see your doctor, and then drive out again for another four hours to get home. If you could reach those kinds of appointments through virtual, I think that would be a great advantage so that you don't even have to maybe not cancel because you're not feeling well that day and you can just do it online and, and still get your medical attention that you need, right? Yeah, and I mean, there are some good care models. I have done some in the past, like for people up north particularly. Um, it, it is helpful often when you can have like a caregiver or even like if you if you have the resource to have a physio on hand and then they can examine or you know we do remote like where the prosthesis is there so then at least they can because you know video is good but sometimes the quality to look at the skin or if there's a wound um, or like I can't obviously I can't range the joint like I can't tell how if there's any like joint stiffness or, or pain uh, but if you have somebody with the patient it can be quite quite effective um, to develop care plans to you know, target issues to decide prosthesis or no prosthesis. Um, so, you know, I think we need to move more towards that. I think the pandemic has brought in new funding for that, like for patient, for physicians to provide virtual care. And I hope it continues. I think we should advocate that it continues. And one of the benefits is yes, outreach to patients that just don't have access to specialist care that they need. And how would you say, or how could you further promote those doctors or just even doc doctors just around Toronto to to invite a physiatrist in in their practice pre you know pre amputation. I know it's at Tunnybrook you guys do that proactively. How would you get the other doctors in other centers to to yeah. you know to start thinking that? It's interesting because I think you know I've I've been told by one of my surgical colleagues like nobody knows what physiatry is like what are you guys doing? And you know I think we're all so busy we're like ah like we know what physiatry is but. A little, a little bit of outreach I have done, like I used to work up in Barrie actually when I first started my career. So I did like a little lunch and learn for the local uh, family practitioners. But I think, you know, like knowing who your patients are cared for. So if you can sort of communicate with their primary care providers, it helps. Uh, I try to present at talks that are not like conferences that are not just physiatry focused. Um, so I try to um, do some education for surgical groups just to talk about about this, right? Like rehab is important. Uh, it's a big life change. Um, some surgeons don't realize like the different levels of amputation have a lot of impact, not only on function, 
but if we can fit a prosthesis and and sometimes you know certain partial foot amputations like are not the greatest outcome um, and so really doing work and, and building alliances with our surgical colleagues, I think is important for physiatry, particularly for uh, limb loss physiatrists, um, because we want to prevent that. Like I wanna prevent a patient from going through a partial foot amputation um, and then coming to my clinic and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this prosthesis is gonna be very, very difficult. Um, and so if we can start to connect more with our surgical colleagues, I think that's important. Um, and then also connecting with the patients like primary care provider. Um, and we're starting to do neat things, right? Like we're, I'm starting to do nerve surgeries with, with plastic surgeons, but you need to have those connections and, and um, you know, really build bridges and build new care teams um, to, to push the boundaries and, and really innovate limb loss care. And, and we are making, strides in Canada, like we have new care centers, we have new you know, targeted muscle renovation is not just in Edmonton anymore, right? So um, yeah, I think things are moving along, but it, you know, we, there's work to be done. And yeah, a lot of people still don't know what physiatry does. Well, hopefully we brought some some light to that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, so just going back to amputees before we, we wrap up here. Wow, that's, that's a tongue twister. What, what, challenge would you pose in terms of advocacy uh, in the way we fund prosthesis in Canada and, and how we can just change and convince the government to, to make those changes? Yeah, so I think funding is a huge issue in Canada um, and in Ontario, and we do not have a national healthcare system, right? So again, we get to disparities and in, in, inequities where, you know, it depends on where you live, what prosthesis you can get. And, you know, and that's really sad um, to me, because I think, you know, the best prosthesis is the one that gets the patient their best function back. Um, but sometimes funding limitations don't allow us to do that, right? So in Ontario, there's no public funding code in the assistive device program for a microprocessor knee unit. Um, and there was a recent sort of um, review from the states, from the Veterans Affairs, and they, they said, you know, first line, like if you have an active sort of community ambulator um, above knee amputee, microprocessor knee unit. And I would like to give all my community, you know, if, if it's, if it's, you know, we feel like it's going to benefit them, but if they don't have the funding, we can't. Um, and so I think we need to advocate that technology has changed. Uh, the pricing of prosthetics has changed and our publicly funding guides and sort of what we're able to provide has not kept up. And, and, you know, really showing that patients that are not funded or not active are likely doing worse, right? Like they're not able to go back to their activities. They're not able to go back to work. They have more mental health problems. And, and you know, not everybody needs a fancy prosthesis. It's, an, it's a very individual pro, a prescription. Uh, it's dependent on what sort of your goals are, what your, your physical abilities are, you know, what your endurance is, what your environment is. But I would like to have better funding to provide the best device for patients. And I think that's what we all struggle with in Canada. Um, it's very two-tiered two system, depending on if you have insurance or not. Um, mm -hmm. and, and if you're dependent on the public system, you know, sometimes we can't give you the best device that I would like to prescribe. Uh, and I, I know like the WARAMPS and groups like Amputee Coalition of Toronto and Amputee Coalition of Canada, we need to just keep pushing, right? Like, because 
sometimes our, our, our funders are just not aware. Like, like if, if I'm telling you our surgeons aren't aware about prosthetics, I'm going to tell you that the person that decides on the ADP probably doesn't really know what a microprocessor knee unit is or, but they see that big price, right? Like, so, so, you know, it's, it's continued work. And, and I think, you know, building that evidence that if we provide care that makes patients more healthy and active, that it's probably less strain on our publicly health funded healthcare system. But it's a big upfront cost, right? And so whenever you're in a process and you're budgeting, because Todd, as you know, he is a project manager, um, you know, sometimes people get scared. Um, so how do we like show like I've got a I've got a leg, I'm gonna use it and it allows me to do more things, but I'm not gonna be sitting, I'm not gonna be more prone to my diabetes being bad or or getting a heart attack or a stroke. Um, work, there's a lot of work to be done in this and and you know. We need to advocate so that the best device, not everybody needs the fancy devices. You know, the companies do a good job to think that you do, um, you know, and, and we love our prosthetic companies, but we know there's a lot of marketing behind that, um, but just the most appropriate device for the patient and, and, and making it more accessible. And, and in Canada, it's a real challenge. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree completely with you on that. Um, and lastly, what would your recommendations be for those who are just about to lose to them or have just lost a limb, a limb, and those more in isolated and remote communities that are, that how can they reach to a physiatrist and make sure that they, you know, they get looked at their overall health uh, post amputation. Yeah, I mean, so physiatrists are specialist uh, physicians, so uh, they we do require like a referral from another physician. So either it's like a surgeon or um, your primary care provider. Um, so if you wanted to actually like have a consultation with a physiatrist, you could ask like your family physician or a surgeon or, or some, some specialist, like I get referrals from endocrinologists who deal with diabetes, um, a referral to a physiatrist. Um, there is like an e-consult, like a, an, it's sort of like an online consult service in Ontario and other provinces as well. So, so some, some providers access me through that um, and that's available for people that live really remote. Um, if you live in Ontario, like we can do virtual, like uh, physicians are usually restricted by their provincial boundaries, but there are sort of telemedicine options as well for people that are living more rural. And I think it's important to connect with groups that provide you with information. So like the War Amps has like a lot of resources on their website, Amputee Coalition of Toronto, Amputee Coalition of Canada. And if you can, you know, you know, I try to link people up with peer supports, but linking up with a, a peer support um, is helpful. Um, and then, you know, actually like asking your, your surgeon about, like if you're not able to access any of this, I think it's really important to speak with your surgeon about like what level they're doing. And then you can always get like finding resources that are specific to your level of amputation because the care and the outcomes are very variable depending on what level of limb loss you have. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And then just one more time, maybe remind everybody how they can get a hold of you for the research that you're doing. And again, maybe remind everybody of um, the event that you have coming up for the OAAC. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm Amanda Mayo. I'm at Sunnybrook. You can contact me there. I'm on the Sunnybrook website. Um, and then Ontario Association for Amputee Care is May the 7th, 2021. Our website is oaac.ca. 
Um, and we hope to see a lot of people join us. And, and I think events like that, like bringing together um, members from different areas of the community. So we're going to have physiatrists, we're going to have surgeons, we're going to have prosthetists, we're going to have orthotists, we're going to have patients, we're going to have researchers, we're going to have physios, occupational therapists, social workers. Um, I'm probably missing out some of the groups that we're going to have, but you know, it's a big team that cares for the limb loss population. And I think more sort of conferences and events and, and sort of efforts that we can do, it, it helps in the long run to sort of build more standardized best care uh, for limb loss in Canada. Awesome. I want to thank Dr. Mayor for joining me today. I'll post all the links on my website at www.airsoftmedia.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The MTO Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Airsoft Domingo, and this has been The MTO Show Podcast.